Hey guys, it's C.A. Knubel. Just wanted to give a heads up that there is some content in this episode that some people may find emotionally disturbing. So this is a trigger warning and viewer discretion is advised. Thanks for listening. Don't know me to start. Uh, my name is Christy. I go by C.A. Knubel. And today is the two-year anniversary of the loss of my little sister. Um, it's always a hard day for me. She was very close to me. And at the same time, it hit me a little bit different when she passed because of something that I had been through at her age that I should not have survived. Um, and that's what I'm going to do today is talk about my trauma narrative. Um, I may need to look at my, my notes because there are some parts that I can't look at the camera for because it kind of feels like looking somebody in the face. Um, it's uncomfortable for me to begin with. If most people notice, I look right here and not right here. And that's just because I like to see, no, I'm looking, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I just like to see the, the screen instead of making me feel like I'm staring into the eye of Sauron here with the camera. So I am just gonna get into it. Um, when I was 17, I graduated college. Um, I was the youngest of three girls. So naturally I was not um, one that was listened to very often um, or hung out with for that matter. Um, I don't wanna say I had a damaged childhood. It was relatively normal considering, um, but I was ready to go is what I'm trying to get at. I was ready to go. I had picked Bloomsburg University for my school. I still love that school despite the story that you're about to hear. Um, and I'd also like to say that trigger warning for anybody, um, this is at your discretion. Feel free to leave at any time if it gets to be too much. Um, I'm gonna try not to go too deep into the gruesome parts, but I feel like some of them are necessary. So, um, when I went to Bloomsburg, I started in a summer program. I made a lot of friends there. It was great. I drank a bit and um, just had my fun. And then the spring and fall semester started, or fall and spring. And I used to find my peace sitting outside of the library. I have an affinity for libraries and books. Anyone who knows me knows that. And there was a coffee shop attached. So it was like a wet dream for me. Um, <laughs> I would sit outside there a lot and do my homework until it, you know, obviously got too cold and then I'd sit inside, but I'd always see the same guy often, you know, just about as often as I saw every other guy, you know, we didn't stand out in any particular way. Um, you know, I had, if I had to guess, I'd say he's probably up 35, slightly balding. So I remember chuckling to myself, um, about his lack of hair or the way it was growing or, Something about his hair just made me giggle the first time I saw it. And I'm a bitch, so it was out loud. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I, when it started to get obviously too cold outside, I would go inside the library to do my homework. And um, every, almost every time I'd see him. I'd see other people too, the same amount of time. And again, for him being, let's say 35, if I had to guess, it wasn't abnormal for someone his age to be at the library or at the school because 
there were a lot of people who commuted there. There were a lot of people who stayed late to go and use the library. Um, so for me, I didn't question anything. <laughs> Normally my red flags would be like red alert, but nothing. Um, we'd make small talk. Um, it was after the first time we met, which is significant now after this year, but before it was irrelevant to me. I was coming out of the library bathroom and I had dropped a book and he picked it up and handed it to me and said, here you go, babe. I hate that word. We're going to find out why. Um, I just said, thank you. Had small talk, whatever, went his way, went my way. But then, you know, now that we have that, I guess, um, so what I'm looking for. You know, that rapport with each other where we'd see each other you do like the head nod or the wave you know where you talk if you have a minute you're standing in line for coffee for six months it's all the time at, at least four times a week maybe five um different times of the day and looking back at it now and finishing my trauma narrative i should have questioned that like why do i see him every time i'm there why is he always there when i'm there but as a fresh 18-year-old who has no clue about the world, um, I didn't question it. So built a friendship, and one night it was cold, and I went to leave. It was a little bit later than I normally left, but as a procrastinator, I kind of put some things off and had to clean that up a bit. Um, I wasn't a heavy drinker at this time. You know, I partied a little bit, but was nothing compared to after or in the last two years to be honest um on this night i was leaving and i remember it being cold because i pulled my jacket tighter and as a not so small girl weight wise uh, i was really not looking forward to the hills um to get back to my dorm so i went to go out the door and there's t holding it open perfect gentleman um I walk out, we have our pleasantries. I'm pulling my jacket tighter, you know, and I'm doing the <sighs> mental preparations to freeze my ass off and he offered me a ride. And I didn't think anything of it. I agreed. We went to his car and we got in. And I buckle my seatbelt as he's getting in, buckles his. And I pull out my phone to text my roommate to let them know that I'm on my way back. Case they're getting banged. It's college. You have to do that. It's it's like a rule, an unspoken rule. So I take my phone out, and as soon as it is like flipped open, because yes, ladies and gentlemen, it was a flip open phone, uh, a Verizon one actually, for being specific. Um, and he yanked it right from my hand. Now. As most of you know who have met me in person or just by watching my videos, I'm a pretty fiery girl. But at this moment, I am just confused. Um, when he snatched my phone, I was just kind of dumb about it. Like, um, give me my phone. What are you doing? And then instead of turning towards my dorm, he turned towards the highway. And it was kind of right then I was like, this is not good. Um at all because i i don't think i told anybody i was going to the library again i was there later than normal um i didn't even know they knew where i was 
So he drove up and down the highway for a while. If we're going to go in total with what I'm about to tell you, it was about six hours in the car. Up and down the same stretch of highway. And yet still did not get pulled over somehow. Imagine that. Um, when we're driving down the highway, he made it clear to me that he, like, I was never going home. He didn't specify why. He just said I wasn't going home. And, you know, I am a manipulator, a master one at that, to be honest. I have mental health conditions that make it that way. But I was thoroughly trying to convince this man to give me my phone. Like I knew getting angry wasn't going to help my situation, which wasn't a good one. Again, I had already discovered that. So I just, you know, trying to playful banter. I'm trying flirty. I'm trying anything but begging because that I will never do. And ladies and gentlemen, I am an attempted murder survivor still did not beg for my life. Okay. And that is bad bitch, big dick energy incarnate. Just want to make that side note. Um, he just kept saying like, you're never going home. Nobody knows where you are. You know, it's, that's really all I remember is like, you just that kind of talk, like you're never going to go home. No one's going to find you. No one even knows where you were, you know, and he was right. But I wasn't going to tell him that obviously. So I just stayed quiet for a while. And um, I kind of just tried to remain calm. But I was crying. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bitch about it. I was definitely crying a little bit. Um, I'm not like the blubber kind, though. It's definitely just like the quiet giving up streams. But I do not ever go down without a fight. Not ever. And the first time that I realized that this man was not fucking around was when he pulled off the highway to a guardrail road. Now, for anybody who is not affiliated with the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania, it is scary to go up them roads because it is literally a guardrail and nothing on the side. Um, and that's kind of where we went. We went right up, curved it around, and it led to an entrance in the woods. Couldn't see anything inside, obviously. It was pretty random area, to be honest. I have no idea if it was an accident or if he like planned for this area. Um, when we got there, he parked and he tried to pull me out the car. I was not having it. I am five foot two of fuck around and find out. So I punched and I kicked and I did what I had to. And he was not having it either. So eventually he got frustrated and slammed the door shut and got back in. And we continued back down the highway, up and down. And at this point, it is starting to get pretty dark. Um, and, and up until then, I was banging on windows, waving, doing like anybody to see me, but not doing it in a way where I would set him off. You know, so I'd like pretend to fix my hair, but really I'm like this, you know, in the window where I'm like banging, I'm like making the eye contact with people and nothing. Not one person stopped. And mind you, I had been crying. So red flags all around, but irrelevant. Um, this time you could see he was getting a 
bit frustrated because I'm getting angry now and my tears are just turning to flames basically in my soul. And I'm like, fuck this guy. Okay. Fuck him. You know, I'm from Philly, like Philly, Philly. So I was like beating my chest basically. And in the nicest way possible. And he just, it, it was the same thing. Like just trying to break my spirit. You're never going home. No one knows where you are. You have no phone. You don't even know where you are, do you? And he was right. I had no fucking clue. And it was on a highway. <laughs> I don't know which one. I was kind of dumb then. Um, <laughs> but this time he took a hand off the wheel to pull out his member. And as a hoe, I'm just kidding. Um, I kind of flipped inside then like he's not serious right now and he just kind of grabbed my hand and led it to it and again not having it I grabbed the wheel instead and flung it and we went almost into the median but thankfully he was quick and pulled it back but I think at that point he realized like I am not kidding I'm not, I'm, I'm not playing with you. I'm not touching your bird. You're fucking bald and you need to take me home, you know, basically. And this, I'm going to throw a little jokey jokes in here. People, it's my way of coping. Um, does not mean I don't take this seriously or that this isn't incredibly difficult right now. It's why I keep looking off to the side because I can't even look at myself right now. Um, he pulled off again, tried to pull me out again, was not having it again kicking. This time I did land. I do remember landing one kick because you heard that shit. I was, I have these thighs, ladies and gentlemen, do not fuck around. And I, I kicked the shit out that man. Proud of myself. I kicked the shit out that man. Um, didn't like make him bleed or nothing, but you heard it. And he got the message. And that's, again, we went back down to the highway and up and down and up and down. And now he's getting a little more aggressive with how he's talking to me. He's really talking down instead of, you know, oh, like in a joking way, you're, you're never going home, like a sing song tease kind of way. Now it was like, you're never going fucking home ever, never. You're mine, you know? And I almost believed him for a while. I did. Um, because at this point we're on the highway for hours and we're reaching that probably hour five, six at this point. And it, it still boggles my mind to this day that no one pulled us over. No cops, no one called it in as suspicious, nothing. Um, I could tell he was getting frustrated because I have a no nonsense attitude and I don't take degrading talk well. So um, I'm running my mouth. Because at this point, I'm like, what am I going to do other than that? If I'm going to die, it's because I cursed him the fuck out. You know, the, the very nice, you know, try to sweet talk and manipulate girl by the second attempt to pull me from the car was gone. Especially you pulled out your dingling. Nah, I'm mad now. Yeah, I called it a dingling. Deal with it. Um, I was angry, you know, 
and I don't get angry. I'm not an angry girl. Um, but I, I think he was kind of running out of gas. He had to have been at this point because it was just a long, long ride up until that point. And um, when he pulled off again and we got in front of the woods, he kind of looked over and gave me like a really creepy smile. It's the smile I kept seeing in my night terrors ever since. Just, I got you. That's what the smile said to me. And I refused to, in that moment right then, to believe it. Um, at this point, I remembered, you have a phone. You put it in the door. So naturally, he goes around the car and I jump over to try to grab it. Nothing. He had already pocketed it. But what he did have also was a knife. And every little stance I had ready to go to kick the shit out this man again, I was like, well, never mind. Um, so I let him pull me from the car. And it wasn't even a big knife. It was just a pocket knife. Something that now I would have laughed at, honestly. Um, with where I am, you know, but, um, but then it was terrifying. I'd never been, never even been beat up, let alone like held at knife point. And I'm from Philly. Like that had never happened to me. Um, I mean, I'd been raped once beforehand, but I was too young to even know what was going on or what to do. And that's irrelevant to this anyway. Um, we sat there for a couple minutes, just kind of stared at each other. Then, me in the car, still kind of in my stance, but not really feeling it. You know, there's no real motivation behind it. And he kind of stood there with that stupid ass grin on his face. And it was just like two opponents in a ring just breathing at each other. Because at this point, it's dark. All you can see is the breath really and the knife for me <laughs> especially um he grabbed me by my hair and just kind of yanked me out and i let him what am i what am i gonna do die right there i gotta at least try to formulate a plan in order to do that i gotta go with him there's no way around it so he did he had me lead and kept the knife against my stomach and we like marched on like two soldiers through the woods. And I just, I remember, I, I can't remember the exact season, but I know that it was not quite winter, but it was still like crisp, if you know what I mean by that, weather-wise. And um, he just kept that knife firmly planted. And I had to walk very carefully. Because if I stumbled, it was a wrap. And I would become a kebab instead of a canoe. So I walked. I gotta say maybe maybe 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. If I had to guess, it was a long walk when you have a knife pressed against your stomach and a very slim will to live at this point. Um, I felt defeated, you know. There's no light behind us from the car. I knew that we were far away. 
He's got my hair gripped up. There's a knife against me. I have no phone. No one knows where I am. Like I did all of that homework for no reason. I'm pretty sure that was a thought in my head too. Um, you just tend to think of things that really don't fucking matter in those moments for me. Um, but yeah, I had to just be careful not to slip as we made our way back. And when we did, he just kind of threw me like a rag doll to the ground. And I just laid there like a rag doll on the ground. And he did what he wanted. There's no sugarcoating it, ladies and gentlemen. He he did what he wanted. And I just laid there with my eyes closed and pretended that I was not there. I was a corpse. And I don't know how many of you that may or may not be listening have ever been raped, but you feel like trash. Like you have no worth, no value, nothing. You're nothing. Um, because to them you are. You were literally nothing. And all I could think of was, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen? I'm a smart kid. I had grants and scholarships to go to school. How did this happen? You know, I am the smart one. We, we, we designated this, my family. I was the smart one. And here I am, miles into the woods, being brutalized in every way. And I'm not even fighting. Because for what? Um, I, I didn't know what, what there would be worth fighting for in that moment. And um, it got kind of weird when he was done. And I'd also like to give a disclosure here that these, this part of the story where we get into the sexual assault and the attempted murder, I had no idea during this time that this happened because I had recessed memories. Um, the only thing that I remembered when I left those woods was I got kidnapped and I walked home. So just understand that when I tell you what I'm telling you next. Um, I need a second. Sorry, um, I have asthma and uh, this this next part just, it's never easy to even think about, let alone talk about or tell people about. So we're just gonna have to get into it. Um, he leaned over me for a while 
and it was more degradation, more you're worthless, look at you, clothes ripped, slut, poor, all of it. Never hoe, though. <laughs> Say that as a joke. But um, they started with knife torture, and it was never enough to leave a permanent scar, but it was enough to leave Nick's on my body, wherever he wanted. I don't think I need to get too into detail with you guys, but where it mattered, um, which was everywhere. And I don't know if anybody has ever faced death, so to speak, or the dark parts of the human existence, but there is nothing worse than that feeling. Because in that moment, not only had I just been violated in every way possible, but as soon as that knife came out, I knew there was nothing that I could do. And I felt defeated and worthless because that is what I was diminished to. And he kind of told me his whole little villain plot then, because that's really what it felt like. It felt like a villain plot. Um, he had an obsession with my hair. And he kind of like leaned over me and smelled it a lot during his um, fun, I guess you could say. And when he had his fill with, you know, like poking and prodding and drawing blood, he stood up to get dressed. And when he stood up, I heard a thud. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was the knife, to be honest. Um, then he got dressed, clearly didn't even notice. And leaned back over me again and got real close to my face to remind me that he could see me and that I was there, even if I didn't want to open my eyes and look at him, even if I wanted to pretend that I wasn't there in that moment. He made sure I knew that I was there. And that this was happening. And that it was my fault. And he told me that he was doing something for his mother. The day that he saw me the first time. And he got a flat tire on campus. And he noticed that I sat outside the library for a while. And didn't touch my phone or talk to anyone around me. That made me an easy target. He wasn't wrong. Um, and as he told me how he stalked me through the next six months, he was holding my hair in his hands and 
pulling leaves out of it and smelling it and just talking over and over again uh, and, and telling me over and over again that I was perfect and um, it's okay, you know, that no one will know I'm missing because this was how it was supposed to be. And he calls me babe, like every other word. And I hate that word to this day. I get disgusted when I hear it. It makes me sick. Um, but I had no fight left in me at that point. To find out that someone you seen almost every day, someone that you made small talk with, that you made pleasantries with, that you seen talking to other people, that you seen walking around campus, didn't even go to your fucking school. And picked you out of all people to brutalize this way. It's a lot to take in after being tortured and sexually assaulted for a pretty long duration of time. I, um, I didn't care anymore at that point. Till he mentioned my mother. Mistake on his end. <laughs> he was stroking my hair and said, what would your mother think if she could see you now? And I laugh now because it literally snapped me back. Like, wait a minute. What would my mother think? If she saw me like this, what would my mother think if I didn't come home? What about my sisters? You know, my dad, like what? No one knows where I am. I I refuse to go down like this. I'm my mother's daughter, you know, in my head. My mom's a tough bitch, okay? Like she would not have, you know, in my head, that would have never happened. And I could not possibly die here now because... I'm my mother's daughter, you know, and it was just, it's psychotic to me, the way that it kind of snapped me in that moment right back and fueled a fire in me while I'm laying battered, bleeding and brutalated, I guess you could say mutilated. However, I literally probably looked pathetic clothes were ripped, was covered in dirt, and I mean, honestly, who knows what else, but that didn't matter to me anymore, because he reminded me that there are people waiting for me. So, you know, I promised myself I wouldn't cry, so we'll pretend it didn't happen, okay? <laughs> Add that time he started putting more pressure with the knife and I knew I had to do something but I didn't know what I could do other than wait for the right time to finally put the years of Muay Thai I'd taken as a child to use and gain leverage at that moment I did not have it I just had a knife held to 
parts of my body that do not deserve a knife or any other kind of sharp weapon nearby. And it it's kind of a blur. And it's confusing how I escaped. Because it was just a noise. That simple. After all that, it was a crunching sound. It was distinct. And it sounded like somebody was walking towards us. For me, I was terrified that there were more of them. Um, that's all I could think of. So I just kind of crammed my eyes shut tighter and listened and waited. But he didn't. He took off. And left me there. And I was too scared to move for a long time. I didn't know it was coming or if something was coming. I didn't know if he was coming back or if he was waiting to see if I would move or waiting outside the trees for me to find my way out or where that would even be because it's dark and I have nothing on me. No lights, nothing. My shoes are fucked. Um, I didn't even wear them. And I remembered the thud from earlier. And it was kind of right then that I was like, wait, something fell earlier. And this was after I got over the initial, you mean to tell me I could have threw a rock down the way this whole time and he would have ran? You know, whether or not it'd be true doesn't matter. It was angry for me. Like I could have, I could have did that with a rock or something next to me, a branch, anything. But I, it wouldn't have sounded the same. Like, let's be honest. It's just me trying to rationalize while I'm clearly not in a rational mood. Um, I, it hurt to move. A lot. But I knew if I had stayed there that I would have died. So I had to. And I did. Slowly, of course, but I did. And I happened to find my phone. Which is what had fallen as he got dressed. Out of his pocket. Divine intervention, right? <laughs> Twice in one night? It was dead, so no. Just once. But that phone in my hand gave me hope that I was going to get out of there. Because in my head, it doesn't matter that it's dead. What matters is that I have my phone. And my phone has GPS. And that means that no matter what, someone's going to find me. No matter what happens. And that was enough for me. And... I walked. I didn't know where I was going. I just kind of followed a light. And it wasn't even like a light. It was just kind of like I could see the right way. And I know that makes no sense. And it won't. It doesn't even make sense to me. But I told myself for a long time, my mother guided me out. And I think that was just my way of coping at the time. And I kept 
repeating the same part of a Robert Frost poem in my head. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, and I've got promises to keep, miles to go before I sleep, miles to go before I sleep. I just kept repeating it over and over and over again as I'm walking and touching through these woods and my feet are dicked because I have no real shoes. They are fucked and my clothes are fucked. Like I was fucked, basically. I felt like a human ragdoll. I didn't even feel like a person. If anybody's ever been sexually assaulted, you lose your entire identity. All of it. There is no you. Whatever was supposed to be you is gone. And I just turned 18. I didn't even figure out who that was yet. But I did. I, I found my way back to my dorm. And right as the sunrise hit. So I kind of an affinity or a fetish, you could say, for sunrises. Because um, it signifies that I survived that night. And my reason also for saying this is because after that, I had a very bad drinking problem. I could not cope. And I didn't tell anybody what happened to me for a really long time. It caused a lot of damage um, to my brain and my, I guess you could say my symptoms, my behaviors, the wiring of my brain. Because I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because at that point I thought as an 18 year old girl, I got kidnapped and then my dumbass had to walk home. That's all I could think of. Most people are like, I can't believe she's thinking of it that way, but I always spent my entire life being told to suck it up. And that's what I did. But I couldn't escape the night terrors. Couldn't escape that smile that feeling that he was waiting around somewhere, just hoping that I might be alive so that he could finish the job. It's horrifying, especially as a, kid, as a kid, you know? I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go to the police. I'm from Philly, we don't go to the police, you know? Even if I did, would they believe me? Is what I'm remembering accurate with the color of the car is is he accurate do i know who this man is you know his name's not t it can't be t because nothing else was true so why would that be true so i just kept quiet and drank instead and i messed my whole college career up obviously and i just could not be up there anymore with that feeling that he was coming to get me i was changing my hair often cutting it, dyeing it, changing styles daily to look different. I know now that makes no sense and I looked exactly the same, but um, one second.
sorry. Um, I went home. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Any of a reason. I was doing shitty. Fucked my grades up. I let my family believe that the reason that I, the star, you know, child, failed out of school was because I was drinking too much. Because it was easier to let them believe that I was an alcoholic than to tell them that I should be dead. And I kept that same energy for more than a decade. I told nobody. And it did, like I said, serious damage. I kept myself busy. I worked two jobs. I had a kid. When I didn't have my two jobs or my kid, I invited people over. I didn't want to deal with what was inside of me. It's horrible. Gross. I didn't want to look at that. I didn't want to think about it. Because again, I thought I was kidnapped and embarrassingly had to walk home. I didn't know about anything else. And it wasn't honestly until 2020 that I got tired. Tired of being embarrassed to have people sleep over in case I was screaming in the middle of the night. Tired of not having men sleep over because if I woke up in the morning and they smiled at me, they might smile at me the wrong way. And I might trigger and freak out. You know, just, I didn't respect men for a long time. Um, but still to this day, if a man approaches me straightforward, they know not to any after that. Um, my face kind of says it all. But I didn't want to work on me. And I didn't feel like I deserved it. So I just did, you know, self-depreciating behavior. Cigarettes, drinking, smoking, hella weed, working way too many hours, knowing it's going to cause a burnout. Anything I could to just not sit sober and deal with it. Until 2020 when I got tired. I don't want to live like this anymore. You know, I started talking to somebody and they kind of made me realize, like, that's not a normal life. Um, they didn't even have to say anything. It just kind of energy, I guess. Um, regardless, six weeks into me seeing a therapist and opening up about my experience, my 18-year-old sister died. And I think it kind of hit me worse because I was 18, just like she was. And I lived, but she didn't, you know? So it was kind of like a survivor's guilt. Why did I live and she did not? You know, I obviously don't think that way anymore, but two years ago, that is what I thought. And my, my entire existence was shattered. You know, she was 10 years younger than me and I hadn't had, you know, Anybody listen to me growing up, I was the youngest. She did. She didn't alienate me. She understood me. She always listened to me. She never called me back. But when she did, we would talk for hours. And unfortunately, the shock of that caused me to start disassociating. And I started showing signs of CPTSD. And to be honest, yes, there's not much left to this story, but... I don't have much recollection of the time up until April this year because I was drinking and drinking and smoking 
anything I could. I couldn't go back to the therapist. How can I deal with that trauma when my little sister just died? I couldn't even wrap my head around the fact that she was gone. I still can't, to be honest. Um, I got worse with my vices. My behaviors were disturbing to me now. Um, never in a way I put my family in danger, but our family feels the effects of our behaviors. And I didn't see that because I was selfish. And it wasn't until February of this year when I crashed my car and had three cracked ribs and a concussion and my now squeaky clean record was not so squeaky clean. I was like, this is not good. Then I felt worse. <laughs> and I started drinking more. And I gave myself a heart attack at 30 by doing so much cocaine. Surprised to still have a nose, to be honest. I'm not proud of that, obviously, but it happened. And a week later, I gave up completely. I tried to kill myself. I thankfully failed. So, it's the one thing me and my attacker have in common. We both can't kill somebody worth a shit. So, at least I can say I relate to him in some degree. But, after I got out, because um, I obviously took a grippy sock vacation, as I like to call it, I got my diagnosis. I have a few of them, actually. I was different after that hospital. It was a completely horrible and crazy experience because it was the first time that I had been alone with no distractions, no phone, no kid, no TV, no friends, can't go to work, just me in a lobby with no bra. He took my bra, people. Can you believe that? But it was the first time that I could think about what happened to me and the flashbacks were severe. I was smelling trees that were not there. I was feeling dirt under my feet that was not in the hospital, obviously. I felt a breeze that wasn't there. And it was like I was not even there at all. And I was the, back in those woods completely. And I was watching it like I was watching a TV show, except it was me being violated again and tortured and left to die so I mean after that I when I got out of the hospital I was on meds obviously because after you have a psychotic episode like that where you're triggering for 30 straight hours you tend to need some meds after that I was diagnosed with also borderline personality disorder, which I'm sure you guys know by now, and taught me a lot about myself. And I started my mental health project because of it, because no one wanted to hear what I had to say. And it's not to villainize my family, because I don't blame them for not wanting to understand. It's a lot. And they still don't know, because anytime I tried to reach out to tell them I wanted to tell them about it. I just couldn't match up schedules or I didn't express how serious it was. 
So, you know, I thought it was pitiful at that point. But with meds and learning more about my conditions and doing interviews with other people who have traumatic experiences like me and finishing, most importantly, my trauma narrative, I unlocked all the memories I just told you. And it took me from being embarrassed that I was kidnapped at 18 to in all that my dumbass survived somebody trying to kill me. Something I was meant to die from. And then acted like it didn't even matter. Like that's psychotic clearly and clearly did some damage to uh that'll permanently last in my brain but and the way I look at myself now is very different because even with all the confidence I've always had I I hated myself still didn't you know sleep with men beneath me because hosts don't do that but a lot of my whole handbook behaviors came from my trauma responses and the way that I did not respect men so since then I have been working on my project. It's been very therapeutic. This is the first official time I've told every detail on film and with the camera on because I've filmed this about six times without it and I hated it each time and I hate this one too but that's why I was like I just need to go live. Um, I'm gonna look back at this and be like Chris delete it <laughs> but now that I am on the right track and trying to repair those burnt bridges and trying to feel less empty and hollow like I did for a long time. It's going to take a while for me to figure out who I was supposed to be because who I've been is not who I actually am. And uh, it's going to take a lot to kind of figure that out. I think anybody can say that. But when I made this project, I did it so that nobody else would have to go through what I went through. My family was not a fan of me after I left the hospital, because they shouldn't have been. I tried to kill myself, knowing that I lost a stepbrother. I was made it myself, knowing that I lost a good friend of mine right a couple years before then. Knowing that my family had lost a younger sister already. It was selfish and... You know, I can't change it now, accepting that and taking accountability for how I made them feel is important. It's an important part of uh, healing. Um, but they didn't want to try to understand me with my conditions or my triggers. I was just crazy. So I made the podcast and the page and the interviews so that anybody else who felt like they did or who felt like I did could just go on one page and find everything they need in one spot. Interviews with people with conditions to give you an in-depth look at their pain or lack thereof or their symptoms or lack thereof because everybody's different. Doctors and therapists say what it's like to treat them. You know, psychiatrists, advocates just to say like, hey, we're here for you. You know, we love you and you matter. Um, I want to end the mental health stigma. It's okay to not be okay. Part of the reason I didn't speak up is because I've been told most of my life that it was not okay for me to not be okay. 
and we need to move past the days of sucking it up. We're done with that. It's time to move forward. So with this incredibly embarrassing storytelling of mine, um, I'm going to leave it with a little bit of a message that no one is alone in their struggle, no matter what you think. Um, I want to give hope to those who feel like their condition keeps them from living a life of value. Because we look at quotes online and we look at memes and we say like relatable and we share them to our pages and to our friends and in the girl chat. We don't actually feel like people with mental health conditions are relatable. If I told you I had schizophrenia, you'd get uncomfortable. I say I have psychosis and people are confused. They don't even know what it is. Because you don't try to understand. You're so quick to say relatable or I'm so OCD with, you're not OCD. You have no idea what that feels like at all. And I want to bring attention to that. And I want to bring a human look to people with disorders and conditions. And I want to break the generational curse of silenced emotions, mostly. Um, I want to bring awareness to how powerful our actions and our words can be. It takes time to accept and forgive what happened to you. Accepting that it happened to you, forgiving yourself for having it happen, forgiving the person who did it to you. Because why hold on to that anger? Whether or not you got justice, because I didn't, and I never will. And that's okay, because I am divinely protected, clearly. But forgiving yourself for the mistakes you made while you were broken does not take time. Neither does forgiving the ones you love for their ignorance and avoidance because they don't understand you. To end this, I'm gonna leave you with this message. You matter. And as cliche as that sounds, it is absolutely true. You have value. Your thoughts, your opinions, your creativity, your smile. There's not a single person on earth that could bring that to the world, but you. You are strong, you're capable, and I believe in you. Be proud of yourself for how far you've come. Never stop trying to be better because you deserve it. So with that being said, I am Christy or C.A. Knubel. I don't want questions, so please um, don't ask them for me. I'm going to not even be on my Facebook probably for a few days after today. But... I'm happy I finally got out there. So if anybody is struggling or anybody has a story that they are keeping a secret, stop. That is not your burden. That is not your weight to carry alone. So instead of saying, go be a hoe and make me proud like I would normally end this, I'm going to say, go be a healed hoe and make me proud. I'll leave it with that. See you next week.